are listening to Impact Hustlers, and I am your host, Michael Schaffert. I've made it my mission to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to solve some of the world's biggest social and environmental problems. And for this reason, I am speaking to some of the best entrepreneurs out there who are solving problems such as food waste, climate change, poverty, and homelessness. My goal is that Impact Hustlers will inspire you either by starting an impact business yourself, by joining the team of one, or by taking a small step, whatever that may be, towards being part of the solution to the world's biggest problems. Cool. Uh, Liam, it's really good to have you on Impact Hustlers. Um, you co-founded something that's not the usual uh, fit for Impact Hustlers, but uh, I got really excited when I came across you. Um, uh, usually, obviously, we always have entrepreneurs that uh, work full-time on commercial startups uh, that are out there building new technologies to solve uh, social and environmental problems. And you co-founded Aerodelft, which is a student group, a nonprofit student group working on hydrogen-powered aviation. So I'm really excited to have somebody with a different background, different angle, talk about this uh, future technology. And it's great to have you on, on the podcast. Yeah, thanks very much. Glad to be here. Great. Um, so um, the, the first thing I thought is uh, whenever I heard about student teams uh, working on technology, usually I think of some student team working on solar-powered cars, uh, stuff like that, and then kind of uh, going for races somewhere and they, they have to compete either uh, with very little fuel or only with solar energy, stuff like that. I guess when you started Aerodelf, that was too boring f for you to to get into. <laughs> Why did you start well, uh, Aerodelf initially? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Uh, I actually originally started doing something completely different. Uh, I started designing uh, human-powered submarines, um, which is a topic unto itself. Uh, essentially, I mean, it, it deserves a lot more attention than it gets. It's a it's a it's a great sport. Uh, it's one of the student teams here in Delft. And essentially what you do is you, you build a two and a half meter long tube and you put someone in there who, in a wetsuit, a cyclist, um, and, you know, stick him an oxygen bottle onto his back. And then he pedals as much as he can over a hundred meters and the fastest time wins, you know, all while trying to not to hit the walls or some slalom pole, uh, slalom poles. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, and that's, one of the teams. So indeed, you said uh, uh, solar-powered cars. We have all sorts of teams here in Delft. And that's why I actually came to the Geo Delft in the first place. Um, they're called Dream Teams. Uh, and so the first year, I was part of this human-powered submarine Dream Team. Uh, but there was no team doing anything with airplanes. Um, and for me, uh, I moved to Germany in 2013, and I started gliding. Uh, I know you're also a paraglider as far as i remember yeah uh, actually yeah so it's, my, uh, my, my first flight ever was in a sailplane so actually in uh in a glider plane uh the ones that you're flying yeah um, and uh, i never made a license for that or uh, anything like that i was just a passenger and now i'm doing paragliding and i'm doing a private pilot license so that's i guess one of the other angles why i'm so passionate about uh, aviation and sustainable aviation <laughs> 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to, don't have to tell you how much fun it is uh, to fly, of course, but uh, that's what got me interested uh, in, in flying in general. Um, so I did that for a few years and I'm also an instructor. So I get to teach people. That's been a very uh, rewarding experience as well. And so when I came here uh, to the TU Delft in 2016, I, I guess it was a case of making my hobby into a career, I guess, uh, to study aerospace engineering. Um, and so when I arrived at the dream hall, you know, first making submarines, I figured out that that's not quite what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into the direction of aircraft. And it was a shame that there was no team there uh, to build aircraft. Um, and so we, I mean, it was at the back of a quite a difficult uh, exam, thermodynamics exam. Uh, a friend of mine went into the center of Delft, uh, got a pizza and came up with the idea. That was essentially it. Uh, we we said, okay, we want to build a student team. We want to make aircraft. We want to give students the opportunity to actually do something practically because what we thought was missing in the studies, which um, in my opinion it still is, uh, is a real focus on sustainability. I mean, we're all as students aware that uh, aviation is responsible for 2 to 3% of uh, anthropogenic warming, but we weren't really given any opportunity to discuss what we could do about that. And maybe it's a bit naive of me to think that would happen in the bachelor's, the first year of a bachelor's, but we thought that why not make this something practical where we can actually build something or design something, build something, and then uh, test it and show that we as, as students uh, can also make an impact. So it then became a question, what do we want to do? You know, which direction do we want to go? What challenge do we want to, to face and solve? Um, and we actually started with something that, uh, on the face of it, seems a little bit odd. Um, I guess also submarines. <laughs> Everything's a bit odd about the story. But we, uh, we started by drilling millions of holes into the wing of a plane. So these very, very small holes, a uh, diameter of 0.1 millimeters. Uh, we would laser into the wings and then you would uh, suck air through those holes. And by doing so, you force the flow over the wing to stay laminar or to stay, uh, to not become turbulent. And therefore, you reduce the amount of drag that your uh, wing is producing by quite a lot. So in the gliding world, we, uh, there was a study done on this and we could increase our lift to drag ratio, essentially, um, you know, uh, um, a metric of efficiency of an aircraft, we could increase it by 10 points, uh, which for a glider is substantial. And uh, for if you were to scale this up to a full-scale aircraft, could also have a major impact on emissions reduction. Um, it was a bit of a crazy uh, idea, and it's still in the works. Uh, we actually focused on something else uh, in the end, because this proved to be uh, quite a bit more difficult than uh, what we were first uh, hoping. Uh, but we hope to revitalize this, uh, at least I hope to, this year. Um, but we had a discussion. What do we want to do? We had this efficiency idea, this you know, bounded air suction system, as it's called. Um, but it, it was part of a broader discussion that we were having, and I think the industry is also having, is what do we want to do going forward? Do we want to continue to improve our efficiency uh, and therefore reduce fuel consumption and therefore reduce our impact on the environment, which we have been doing successfully in aviation for the last 100 years, uh, for sure, especially since the 1980s when we've uh, actually increased our aircraft efficiency quite drastically. We've saved 
tons and tons and tons of CO2 since then. Um, but we had a discussion between that. Okay, so efficiency is, is one thing, but why don't we go for a radical new approach? Why don't we change the fuel, fundamentally change how the aircraft is, uh, uh, is run, you know? Uh, and we came to the conclusion that uh, the biggest impact we could have is uh, to change the fuel. So look at hydrogen, uh, specifically at liquid hydrogen, um, which is a problem in itself. <laughs> it's uh, stored at a very, very low temperature. Uh, I mean, we know how cold it can get. You know, uh, some people will know minus 20, some people will know minus 40 outside uh, temperatures. People might even know LNG minus 180 degrees Celsius. We're talking about liquid hydrogen here is minus 250, <laughs> which is less than 20 degrees Celsius uh, warmer than absolute zero. You know, it's it's maybe 10, 15 degrees warmer than space. Uh, you know, this is it's quite a quite a challenge, but it's what we feel and what I think since we founded Aerodelft, the industry has started to recognize this as being one of the solutions to... Uh, to reducing the industry's impact on the environment. Uh, and so we went for liquid hydrogen. That was three and a bit years ago now. Uh, and we unveiled uh, our prototype uh, February of, uh, of this year, 2021, um, which was uh, very exciting, uh, especially getting to see the aircraft for the first time, which took a while after the unveiling for me, unfortunately, because of the uh, the COVID regulations. It was uh, it's a great experience and it will fly uh, this year. First electrically, then uh, on gaseous hydrogen, which is easier to store, but we can't fly for as long. Uh, and then uh, hopefully in the autumn slash winter of 2021, we'll then fly on liquid hydrogen. So wow. it's very exciting. And we sort of hope that by showing that this is possible, you know, a bunch of, uh, of students from the TU Delft can, uh, can design a plane like this, that we could show that it's, it is a feasible solution and that companies who have a lot more... Um, money, <laughs> a lot more experience and also a lot more capacity to do these projects will actually also follow suit. And we see, mm. you know, liquid hydrogen powered passenger aircraft within the next 10 years. That's our, that's our goal. Wow. Um, and um, I, I guess with that temperature, how, how can somebody that's not in engineering understand how you actually have to build the aircraft? Do you have to build like a massive flying fridge to be able to <laughs> maintain the temperature of the liquid hydrogen <laughs> what are the engineering challenges that you have in building a plane that's powered by liquid uh, hydrogen there are quite a few and uh you know it's safe to say that there have not been um any projects so far or very very few uh you know minor research projects that have uh, been done so far on using that in aviation we know the fuel from rocketry uh, many rockets will um, use liquid hydrogen, uh, use liquid oxygen uh, as their as their fuel. So knowledge is there, um, but uh, it has not been used in uh, the sense that we're using it because we aren't uh, combusting hydrogen. We're using hydrogen in a fuel cell. Uh, and as a result, uh, the fuel cells have a very uh, limited operating margin when it comes to temperature. So they don't like to run at very um, at very low temperatures which means we have to bring the liquid hydrogen from its very low temperature to around about just over zero degrees Celsius from somewhere between zero and 20 degrees Celsius. That's about where our fuel cell runs. There are also fuel cells that run at a thousand degrees Celsius. Um, 
So it is quite a range, but the one we're using is a PEM fuel cell, proton exchange membrane fuel cell, and that one will run. It can take hydrogen in between 0 and 20 degrees Celsius. Um, it is quite a complex process. Uh, we don't actually um, actively cool the, um, the hydrogen. So uh, generally speaking, there are two ways you could do this. Um, if you see liquid hydrogen uh, stored somewhere, it's actively being cooled. Um, in our case, we will put it into the tank and um, let it warm because we'll use that warming hydrogen to run uh, the fuel cell. So um, it's it's we designed the tank so that it works. It, there are quite a few challenges, though. It's uh, it's quite an interesting. Uh, it's it's very interesting, and of course, uh, safety is is a is a huge huge part of it. Um, uh, I was I was radioed. Uh, I was interviewed on a radio station here in the Netherlands uh, a while back, and uh, you know the first thing that uh, he said, he did a couple of intro questions. Then he just played the 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 audio of the Hindenburg disaster mm. and asked us, oh, but do you know what this is? And, and we said, well, yeah, we know what this is, but what you're suggesting is that the technology hasn't gotten better since 1930s and it's almost 100 years later. And that's, that's, that's just complete nonsense. You know, we, we look at the technology we have now, we know how to store this safely. Uh, and it's safe to say that if we had any doubts about the safety, we would not be doing what we're doing. Uh, that's that's uh, that's for sure. So we are working with people who have experience with hydrogen, and we're helping companies that maybe do not yet, but will be required in the uh, in the in, in the in the the chain, right? We're bringing hydrogen to aircraft in the future, helping them get knowledge of this so that we can uh, hopefully bring the infrastructure up to pace uh, as quickly as possible. Um, Great. Great. Yeah, um, quite a few challenges still to uh, to face. To solve, yeah. Um, what, what do you say to people that uh, are kind of more passionate about uh, um, uh, battery-powered aviation, right? Obviously, the whole car industry is kind of moving that way. It seems like that is kind of the technology of choice, electric cars, and uh, all the kind of big manufacturers are kind of focused on that right now. Um and obviously, these batteries are getting better. They may not be good enough right now, but maybe in 10 years' time, they could be kind of good enough to power a plane. Um, have you considered that? And uh, what would you say for people that think that there may be different technologies that are better suited for this? Yeah, definitely. I um, The interesting thing, and this is something that uh, I think I personally have also learned over the last year or so, um, at the beginning of Aerodelft, we were uh, trumpeting hydrogen. We still are. We believe that hydrogen has a, a major part um, of is a major part of the future, not just for aviation. Of course, we're you know we can use it. It's right now our economy is based on oil, uh, and we've set everything up that way. Um, but it is feasible, uh, at least in our opinion, and uh, there have been enough studies that show that we could change our industry. Uh, change our society and base it on hydrogen. So that's why we thought hydrogen should also be used for aviation. It's it's a lot more dense than um, energy dense than uh, current fuels like kerosene. Um, but it does have a volume problem. That's the big problem with uh, with hydrogen. We so at the beginning of Aerodelft we were saying, okay, hydrogen is the future. <laughs> you know, we all think about this. And I think for me personally, over the last year, I have figured out that there is. 
there is no one simple, there's no one single answer to any engineering challenge. Uh, and luckily that is the case. Otherwise I think my job as an engineer in the future will be pretty boring. Uh, there, you know, you definitely need to have uh, different, there are different solutions to each problem. And we think about battery powers, think about hydrogen, think about sustainable aviation fuels. They will all play a major part in making uh, aviation more sustainable. Batteries, especially, we have, you know, um, I think we heard recently that uh, a large proportion of vehicles sold here in the Netherlands last year were battery powered, were electric. And that's ever increasing. We, I think we'll see the same thing for airplanes, but there is a limit to how large the airplanes can get for batteries to be feasible at the current technology, of course. Uh, if they improve, then maybe we'll see more. So I think what we will see is the the smaller aircraft, let's say, you know, up to 10, maybe 19 passengers, uh, perhaps powered by batteries, or maybe there's a, a hybrid electric option where we, you know, you, you combust a sustainable aviation fuel. So uh, a kerosene equivalent created with uh, carbon capture uh, of CO2 from the atmosphere or uh, or another way, we might see hybrid electric or even just complete battery electric aircraft in the in the smaller segments. Anything larger than that, though, your batteries no longer become feasible. So you essentially will have two options. Either we use uh, hydrogen. We can use hydrogen as we're doing with a fuel cell, or we can use hydrogen uh, and combust it, um, which would involve less new uh, updates of the current uh, uh, aircraft or current engine designs that we have. And we also will see sustainable aviation fuels play a role. Um, right now, the latest report, uh, latest uh, European Union uh, slash uh, McKinsey report on hydrogen aviation essentially says um, that anything up to a short to medium range aircraft, so think uh, Airbus A320, Boeing 737 MAX, that, that sort of size uh, aircraft could be powered by hydrogen. It's more cost effective to in the future to make those aircraft fly on hydrogen. If you're talking about longer range aircraft, at least until the year 2050 or so, um, we will probably see those powered by sustainable aviation fuels, such as biofuels or uh, syn fuels, um, because it's more cost effective. When you have a, a very long distance flight, uh, you will have to put a lot more fuel in, which means that the aircraft will have to be extended because of the volume problem with hydrogen. Uh, and of course, also, uh, which I didn't even think about, but the refueling t takes longer if you have mm -hmm. more fuel. And so if you refuel even for 10 minutes more, uh, you could jeopardize an entire flight for an airline in a day. So there's a lot of other considerations that we haven't even thought of yet, uh, which will come into play. Mm -hmm. But I think their conclusion is that, and I think it's ours as well, that we'll see a substantial fleet replacement on hydrogen by the year 2050, which is... Uh, for aviation, that's where the climate goals are. In the EU, they aim for um, uh, net zero emissions. Um, globally, the Air Transport um, Action Group aims for half of the emissions than in 2005. Both of those are very difficult to achieve, um, but we, uh, we're suggesting that about 40% of aircraft by 2050 will be hydrogen-powered, and the rest will probably be powered by sustainable fuels, or there also be for the smaller segments, uh, batteries. So it's mm -hmm. a, we, we shouldn't bet on one horse. We have to have different solutions and, uh, we're focusing on hydrogen. Uh, but it's great to see that others are focusing on other things. We need to see which one will become the most effective. Great. That's, uh, 
Yeah, that, the that's the approach to take anyways with uh, green energy on the ground. And I think uh, for any any part of solving big problems, I think taking different approaches to it. Um, so n now you're actually not the only ones working on this. There's like some really big players in this now, right? So I think Airbus announced that they're working on uh, hydrogen-powered airplanes as well and that they want to come out with something by 2035, I think. Um, yes, exactly. Who, who else is working on this, and um, how, how do you relate to the developments in the market? Do you see a lot more happening, or do you still think you can pioneer something that's uh, maybe even Airbus can't get done, or uh, uh, maybe they're they're not even doing? It's very interesting. Uh, since we founded Aerodoft in what was that, 2017, um, at the time we didn't see very much. Uh, there were very little, some companies had said that they were interested and they were looking into the possibilities, but there were no, um, apart from one or two projects here or there, or research projects mostly, uh, there was nothing being said in the realm of, of hydrogen in aviation, uh, publicly at least, uh, or very little. Since we got started, I don't know, I, I'm not sure we could take the full credit for this. I think that would be uh, a little bit uh, overblown. But of course, uh, since then, we've seen a lot more. Uh, Airbus has now said that they, uh, the Zero E projects will uh, power by hydrogen. Uh, they're looking both at fuel cells and combustion. Uh, and you're right, it's they, they're aiming at 2030, 2035 for a uh, commercial aircraft, which makes sense also. Um, if you look at the segments that they're aiming for, the last aircraft um, in, let's say, the short medium range uh, segment was the, the A320 uh, Neo and the 737 MAX. Um, and it usually takes about 10, 15 years before the next cycle, so uh, or even 20 years sometimes. So if they were released back in 2015 or 2014, something like that, we'd expect new aircraft to come on the market in 2030. So they're, that's, that's what they're aiming for to replace the aircraft uh, that they're currently making. Uh, we see a lot of a lot of work, and uh, it's it's very heartening <laughs> to see that. Uh, but it is also very interesting because um, often when we talk to companies who we might want to be, uh, who want, might want to partner with uh, and work on this uh, at the same time, we realize how far ahead we are already. Um, so it's it's quite interesting when we get questions about how are you doing this, because we know the answers as as a student team from the TU Delft. Um, which, which is, it's an interesting position to be in because that's not how you'd expect uh, it to, to be. But yeah, I mean, that's what we're here for. We do want to, to share what we're doing because uh, we're not here to make a profit. You know, we are a student team. We're a nonprofit uh, organization. So we're here with our partners uh, together to, to show that it's feasible and then also to give that knowledge on to people who are more able or companies Mm. who are more able to put this into practice on a larger scale because i mean that's not what we're uh, we can't build passenger aircraft yet yeah. maybe so we'll so see. will you be uh, <laughs> open sourcing the technology in the end or how how is the model actually to kind of spread spread the technology you're working on yes we we, we haven't decided yet how exactly we want to do that uh, of course we have uh, our partners uh, who have been helping us uh, over the past few years so um the knowledge will mostly get passed uh, through through them, uh, but of course, anything that we believe is uh, is vitally important um, will be will be shared uh, because we we believe that that's that's our so our motto is uh, to fly in clean skies. If you want to fly in clean skies, that's how the future looks like. 
so we want to do everything we can um, to to make that happen. Um, but uh, we're not far enough yet that we have something that we could easily put down onto paper and give to people or give to companies to say, this is how we do things um, because we're still developing ourselves. So once we have an idea of what we have and what we have that other people may not, uh, we'll then uh, figure out how to pass it on most effect- most efficiently and most effectively for uh, the future. Got it. Um, let's talk a bit about the entrepreneurial journey as well and some of the challenges around that and um, kind of dive a bit deeper on that. Um, first, I'd be keen to understand why you decided to set up AeroDelft as a nonprofit student organization. Obviously, it may have happened in the context of what you were doing at the time as well, but um, even now, like, is there a reason you're not saying, okay, let's spin this out, make it into a commercial company and be kind of the Tesla of aviation and kind of mix up the market, get some investment? Uh, why, why are you deciding to kind of have it as a student-run organization at the moment? It's, it's a good question. And it's a question that we have that I personally, and I think a number of my colleagues have also thought, uh, you know, why aren't we doing this commercially? Um, I think it's a, it has a fairly simple answer because it's essentially why we got this started at the time. I, you know, I didn't know very much about what I was talking about. You know, I was a first year bachelor student, uh, and when we were talking about aviation, uh, it's, it's not something you can just go into and, uh, without knowledge. Uh, so we needed a degree. So I think, uh, at the time there was no other choice for us. Uh, we needed to make this into a student team. Um, but it's more than that. It's, it's the reason we did it like this is because we wanted as we wanted to provide students like ourselves, the opportunity to do things practically. Um, and you wouldn't get that as much with a startup, uh, or with, uh, with anything commercial because you then have to think about, uh, you know, paying, uh, the people you work with, and also talk about investment. We didn't know what we were going into. Uh, we, our, our original idea was to use boundary layer suction. That uh, we could. The nice thing about being this sort of association or this sort of um, uh, being a nonprofit is that we can make decisions and go in a direction that we feel is the most effective at any given time. We, of course, have um, uh, partners who we have. We discuss what we were doing with, but they're a lot more open to changes or um, because of problems that may come up, we think, okay, we'll do something a little bit differently, which we have that flexibility as a nonprofit. Um, and we have, uh, uh, which, which is a very, uh, a big bonus when you're working with, uh, with this sort of technology. But mostly the reason is simply that we just want to, we want to, as students, have an opportunity to do this whilst mm-hmm. still studying, because we know that, if you're doing a startup, you have to leave your studies. You have to focus full time on it, um, and that's uh, not possible if you want to uh, further your your studies. I am working my masters now, so that'd be um, it, yeah, it, it's not possible to do if this was commercial. Huh. But we yeah. do have ideas uh, of of spinning off potentially um, some startups from Aerodelft. Um But we first have to. We want to get our plane flying first. That's the mm-hmm. idea. And then uh, the full-scale aircraft after that, which um, uh, we will be uh, receiving pretty soon, the airframe for. Um, so we want to focus on that first. If that is successful, um, and we, we know it will be, 
then then uh, we'll think about the uh, the spin-offs a bit more detail. Yeah. And it has also allowed us as the founders or the first generation of the team that's uh, to have completed our studies to a level where we think we now know a little bit more about what we're talking about when we discuss this with uh, with people who've been in the industry for a long time. Yeah. That's the uh, that's the idea. Got it. And then in your journey, you're about to actually uh, uh, fly uh, your first prototype. You just revealed it recently. Uh, you're going to kind of move quite fast in the next few months and uh, um, uh, um, have made a lot of progress, right? Um, but what would you say has been kind of the biggest hurdle for you to get there and what may be like one of the biggest hurdles for you to still be able to progress going forward this could be technology wise it could be funding anything really um uh, what, what do you think is kind of yeah the biggest i mean for you the, the biggest challenge i think up until this point has not been the technology it hasn't been um i think the biggest challenge has been the fact that we're not a startup uh so how we can get funding how we can uh because we need money of course it's not possible even though we have a bunch of students who are doing all of this part-time no one's being paid uh for this we're all doing it uh, um uh for free like, essentially we're all working for this for free um and in that environment yeah it's very difficult to get funding from investors because there's there's no return of this project right now uh, we can't provide anything in return uh, at the moment you know in the future maybe things will change May, uh, with a spin-off we want eridoff to remain a student team but maybe we come up with a spin-off or something like that i think then even though that's a whole different challenge the funding problem is is very different because there you have a potential return on uh, on some investment we've had to uh go through sponsorship which uh is a really it's very very it's a very it's a very very nice feeling when you're sponsored by someone because of course they believe in what you're doing uh and it makes them even more proud when you succeed because they're not in it for you know getting a return they're in it to see you succeed and that that's it's very nice but it's also quite a challenge uh to gain that money in the first place to show people that you mean what you're doing uh and that you have a chance of succeeding um when you had nothing to show in the first place i do feel that now that we will have our prototype flying uh, uh very soon um that things become easier because we've then proven ourselves that we are able to do um what we what we said we would uh even though i think we were a little bit a bit overly ambitious with our planning for the beginning of the uh, uh of the of the project um we have shown that we're able to do something Uh, and make it what happen. So I think the funding might get easier, but that's been, I think, the major roadblock, especially also going forwards with our full-scale aircraft where suddenly it, it's not a linear progression in terms of size and money. <laughs> it's uh, it's quite a steep, uh, quite a steep uh, trajectory. Yeah, so the first so, one is actually going to be a third of the final size, right? And it's going to be a remote control yes, third of the size, prototype. but... Uh, Correct. Yes. So it'll be um, 50 kilograms, um, wingspan of about six meters. It looks bigger than uh, than you'd expect from the photos, uh, and it'll be powered by up to a kilogram of liquid hydrogen, uh, and that kilogram can essentially let it fly for up to seven hours uh, if we want to. Um, we won't fill it up to that limit at the beginning, of course. We'll just um, once we're doing the testing, but. Uh, 
Yeah, the, the full-scale aircraft will be um, quite a lot bigger. I mean, we're talking 50 kilograms uh, of the prototype to you know more than a probably more than a ton for the for the uh, full-scale aircraft. Um, it's it's a third scale, but it's it's not a third in weight uh, and not a third in, in budget either. <laughs> wow, interesting. Um, if you now think uh, about the next ten years, uh, where how does the world look like in ten years if Aerodelft succeeds with your mission? Yes, ten years for aviation is uh, is is quite an interesting, quite an interesting question because essentially it's tomorrow for the aviation world. Uh, it takes, you know, 10 years to develop an aircraft, especially when you're looking at, uh, or a, a full passenger aircraft, especially when you're looking at new technologies. I think, well, for Aerodelph, we want to have our full-scale aircraft, so the two-person um, two aircraft flying in uh, 2023. After that, uh, that'll be on gaseous hydrogen. After that, we'll focus on the liquid side of things again. So I think, what is that, 2025, I guess, Uh we're looking quite short term uh, for Aerodelft at least uh, because that's we can't really plan for much longer. The team changes every year, you know, so we have new people coming in. Um, so Aerodelft's vision um, is quite difficult to see. For me personally, I would say that uh, from 10 years from now, I would expect that we see the first hydrogen-powered commercial aircraft flying, and I hope to be part of that. Part of that. Um, whether it's uh, working for a company like Airbus or whether we've set up our own spin-off, I think um, both of those are, are viable approaches. Uh, Ten years from now, I believe we'll have set up uh, hydrogen infrastructure enough that we can uh, that we can fly these aircraft at least from some hubs, uh, and then uh, such that in five years from then, so twenty thirty five, that we then see uh, quite um, quite a lot more. Uh, and then if Airbus does bring in uh, their zero E projects uh, between 2030, 2035, we will then start to see a, a substantial amount of aircraft flying around with hydrogen. Uh, and that's uh, that's very exciting. It's one of the reasons I think that sustainable aviation is probably the the place to be for engineering, at least, uh, because it's, it's so exciting. There are so many things you can do. Um, I mean, short term, if you think about aviation emissions, we can even uh, think about how to reroute aircraft. We have the European single sky um, approach. If we can divert aircraft around climate sensitive areas, we can even just reduce our fuel consumption by 10, 15% already. Um, there are so many things that we can, we can do to reduce our emissions that uh, I think 10 years from now, I'm pretty optimistic that we'll have actually, uh, uh, we'll have made quite a big impact by then. Thank you, Liam, for joining me today. It was really inspiring to hear uh, what you can pull off with a bunch of part-time students and like a really ambitious vision for the future. And I wish you all the best for the upcoming test flights and prototype development. And uh, thanks very much for joining. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. That's Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.